It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. So Whitney, I have a question for you. Are you just doing this because I started one of the episodes asking you a question? No, that's not why I'm doing okay. It's actually a genuine question. It's, right. it's not a tit for tat like, I'm going to catch her off guard with a question. <laughs> ha ha. Okay. It's, it's genuine. Okay. When you meet someone for the first time, yep. what's usually the first question they ask you? What do you do? Right. Isn't that interesting? That, yeah. That is such a conditioned knee-jerk reaction to when you meet someone for the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And- I've really, the last year, been thinking a lot, not just about that kind of conditioning and when you know we ask people that the first time we meet them, but more so how fixated, how attached we are to titles in the society, how we identify ourselves more so. And not just how we choose to identify ourselves with usually the answer to that response is, you know, for me, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm a chef and author and TV host and podcaster and dog dad and what, you know, I give them a million things because there's too many things. But the thing that I've been really meditating on a lot is how we can become so fixed and so rigid around how we perceive ourselves and the titles that we assign ourselves that it often not only can limit our connection to other people, but it prevents us from understanding people who we perceive are so opposite from how we've titled ourselves. So I don't mean things like, you know, you're an author, I'm an accountant. There's not a lot of friction, right, with that kind of titling. Although we can get kind of caught up in, since I am this, I ought to behave in a certain way. Like, that's another layer of this. What I'm talking more specifically about, and I have so many thoughts on this that I want your perspective on, is these diametrically opposed opposites, right? Vegan, paleo, Democrat, Republican, Christian, Muslim, gay, straight. I mean, the list goes on where we seem to be so transfixed with how we identify ourselves based on what we do, what we eat, how we worship, how we feel about the world, that it breeds just so much divisiveness and so much separation. And what I've been really tripping on lately is, can I have my beliefs? Can I have what I hold dear to my heart and not be so attached to what I think I should be doing, how I ought to act, how I ought to show up in the world, just based on what I call myself? You know, and I feel like it's just such a rigid system that really divides a lot of humanity. Mm. And and not to say that we give up our beliefs, we give up what we hold dear in our heart, right? It's like, I'll just take myself, I'm not a fan of the word vegan, okay? I'm not just not a fan of it. Why? Not a fan of it because it feels like such a loaded word and it feels like such a divisive thing. And it's more about what people perceive me as when I tell them I am that. But to be honest, like, at the beginning of this year, I had an idea in mind, and it was, if I were to not assign myself any titles for an entire year, what would my life look like? What would that look like if I were to just stop calling myself vegan, or stop calling myself a progressive, or stop calling myself a spiritual person, or an author, or a chef, or whatever? Just be titleless. Like, what would life be if we were to do that? But could you even really be titleless? Because here's the thing that I've learned a lot, is that... Other people have an idea of what your title is. So if you said your title to them multiple times, mm -hmm. it's ingrained in their head until you 
reframe it for them or you are very conscious with them over and over again about a new title or no title. <laughs> and so, I mean, yeah. I noticed this so much as my career has evolved over time. I mean, for so long, people wanted to call me a blogger and it used yeah. to like drive me absolutely crazy because I blogged and maybe I called myself a blogger for a couple years. But out of the 10 years I've been doing my work, I've barely ever used that word. But a lot of people just want to call me a blogger. Right? Yeah. I know there's another major example in my head, but it's so tough when it's almost like you have to be very, very careful and mindful about what you, how you explain yourself to somebody and, and what you write in your bios and your about pages and all of these different places, because if you feel like your career is fluid, then it's hard to get people to switch their perspectives on you. I mean, yeah. even with us developing this brand, Wellevator, it's a whole new journey of educating people on what we're doing here. And it's going to probably take us years to help people understand exactly what we do, right? And I also agree with you a lot on... It almost doesn't even really matter though. I mean, that's the thing is I used to get annoyed, but now I just, why does it matter what somebody calls me? Unless I'm being introduced on the stage or in a podcast or something. And usually in those contexts, I have an opportunity to submit my title and I can be very clear about what it is I'm doing. Every once in a while though, when somebody will interview me though, they'll like, especially with email interviews, I'll answer questions and then I'll read the published interview and it'll have references to me and my title that I haven't used in years. And I'm, again, realizing maybe it still lives somewhere. I haven't updated all of my bio pages or somebody just has me locked in as this one thing. But regardless, it just doesn't even matter that much. I think sometimes we get so tied into how other people perceive us that we forget to realize that it just, it doesn't really matter. Right. <laughs> it, what matters is what you're doing on a regular basis. Right. And how you're affecting people. And that's part of the reason I actually get really kind of nervous, anxious, uncomfortable in environments where somebody's going to keep asking me what I do. Okay. Because I don't really have a strong word for what I do. I don't really feel like I identify with most words out there. Right. I Interesting. mean, content creator, maybe, but even that just doesn't feel like the best terminology for what I do. And so I've actually started to shift more into describing what I do and really being present when I'm talking to other people. If I, especially if I can learn something about them first, that's really helpful because it's almost like I can tailor my response to something that's going to work well for them. But that takes a lot of practice and confidence, and it's something that I'm always kind of working because I kind of have different versions of explaining my identity or what I do and all that mm -hmm. to people. And I also really find it's most helpful for me to give people a little bit of information then let them follow up with me if they're really interested. Mm -hmm. Because one of two things are going to happen typically. You'll have somebody who asks what you do and You'll give them an answer and then they'll just move on with the conversation. They won't ask any follow-up questions. Right. Or they won't even be interested and the conversation will end very shortly. And that's fine. <laughs> the other thing is that sometimes you start to explain what you do or you, you give a, a short response and people will ask follow-up questions and they want to know more and they're very curious. That is actually my preference. 
that feels so much more meaningful to me. Right. And then to your point too, it's also really nice and refreshing when you can talk about things other than what you do and find what else you have in common or how else you can support each other. I think the reason that people often ask what you do is not only are they trying to put you into context, but they're also often just trying to see how you could benefit them somehow. Yeah, interesting. And that's a good reminder for me is that I try not to ask that question too frequently, or at least not until later on in the conversation. I try to make it more, how can I support them? How can I, I add value to their lives somehow? You know, And that to me is so much more rewarding than just trying to think about what they can do for me. Yeah. You know what I find is, and when I think to do it is a much more, not just an interesting question, but it's more of an invitation, I think, to a deeper reflection is instead of what do you do? It's like, what are you super passionate about right now? Mm -hmm. What are you really excited about that's going on in your world? That to me, when I remember to ask that or the energy feels right to ask that question, I find that the responses are usually deeper and more introspective and more interesting. What I wanted to just kind of crack this open into a little bit more, though, is this question of, and I, I'm kind of playing around with this and I think I have my own answer, but I want to hear your perspective on when we have something, again, that is a, a deeply entrenched belief system. Again, I bring up ethics, religion, our system of eating, whatever we identify ourselves as. It seems like that in our society at large, okay, not everyone, but you know, all you need to do is look at what's happening on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and how people comment to each other on a large sample size to see that people have these belief systems, but they also have this deep need to be right. Oh, yeah. That my belief system, mm -hmm. my way of eating, my way of living, my God, my religion, my whatever it is, is that's it. And if you disagree or you choose something opposite, you're wrong. So, and this seems to have persisted in humanity for thousands of years. So it's this interesting idea of how can we believe what we believe, right, in our hearts, you know, because there are things that are deep for each of us. Every human being has something, I believe, in their heart that they're very deeply aligned with, that they truly believe in. But can we do it and can we be in aligned with it without having to castigate or vilify or crucify other people or make them wrong to validate what we believe? And I think that that's a really interesting thing to pay attention to in our society right now. How do we just say like, yeah, this is what I believe. This is what I feel is right. And also, you know what? I'm totally open to hearing your perspective. I don't need to be right all the time. Yes. And it does come back to this ongoing element of mental training that we discuss so much in Wellevator. And I know that you have read part of it, but I'm actually curious because we haven't talked about this mm. is. I saw you posting on your social media, Jason, about the book Selfie. Yeah. And then as soon as I saw that, I went and got it. And I've you been did. reading it for the past few days. And oh. it's such a phenomenal book. But I feel like I tend to read at a more rapid rate than you do, you Jason. Do. You do. So how far into that book have you gotten? Just the first chapter. Okay. <laughs> yeah, to be honest. Yeah. It's I, funny. I have an obsession with books, by the way, ever since I was a child, just as a sidebar. I have, Whitney knows, she teases me all the time. I have a massive queue of books mm -hmm. and I'm reading actually two right now at the same time. And I'm just trying to get caught up because the queue of unread books at my house <laughs> continues to grow. So what are you feeling since you're deeper into it? Like, oh, what are your reflections so on it? it's so insightful and it's really relevant to this. I kind of wish I had sat down and taken a deeper dive. When I read, I highlight. So right. I would have basically pulled up all of my highlights and 
tried to summarize all of them. But from what I have really, I guess for me, what the way I take in information is sometimes it's harder for me to articulate it. So I'm trying to think the best way that I can articulate it is basically everything that you're discussing here and a great majority of human behavior, if not all human behavior, is not only very biological, but very, very cultural. And it goes way back into our history as human beings. Yes. And what's really fascinating about Selfie is that he goes, the author, I believe it's a man, goes through and studies ancient Greek history and Asian history with Confucius. And he compares the two, which is really fascinating, and how the Western versus Eastern way of living and thinking. Mm -hmm. He also studies Christianity and Catholicism, and he's, he goes to like a, the place where a monastery. And then he basically is going through all of these different cultures and history and understanding more about why people do what they do. And mm -hmm. so much of it is about how we relate to each other in groups. And so, he actually at times makes it seem like some of this behavior is not within our control. It's just so deeply ingrained in us that we just naturally tend to go into these groups and see things as right versus wrong, as in my group versus your group. It's like from our perspective, we're often trying to find peace and reduce suffering. And it just sounds so easy. How nice would it be if we all got along? And how nice would it be if we didn't have war anymore? But is that even possible? Is that just part of human behavior and, and the way that we relate to one another? Will we always find conflict and be drawn to conflict? And there's almost like there's a necessity behind it. And so as I'm reading this book, he's kind of just going deeper and deeper into the meaning and talking about the place of religion. It's so fascinating. So it'll obviously be in the episode show notes. But I think that that book is really helping me in a way, feel more accepting of this element of human behavior because similar to Jason, I find it very frustrating. I'm, I'm somebody that sees things, I try not to see things very black and white, right? But there's probably so many ways in which I do see things in black and white and I'm not even aware of it yeah. at the moment. Yeah. And maybe my, it's almost kind of funny when you really start to step back from yourself, the fact that we are annoyed by people who see things as black and white in our own way. That's us seeing things as black and white. Like you're either seeing things in black and white or you're seeing them in shades of gray. But if you step back, that's again, black and white, right? It's just kind of amusing that a lot of the things that frustrate us as, as Whitney and Jason, but also just us collectively is it's almost like a lot of the times we're being hypocrites and we don't even realize it because we're, we're getting frustrated by things and the simple fact that we're frustrated by them means that, that we can relate to them, I suppose. And I think that's part of the reason I get more drawn into more of the Buddhist or spiritual element of things is, is it's just more about being accepting. Who cares if somebody sees things as right and wrong, black and white, this versus that? That's just them. And I think if we really want to make a difference when it comes to these things, we have to also be more accepting of those types of people and not try to change them, mm. you know? And mm. I think that's something that I'm learning more as a content creator and as a coach and teacher is that my aim is not to change people because I cannot force somebody to change. Yeah, I could perhaps inspire them to change, 
or think differently about things. I guess that's, that's ultimately the aim, but it's more just expressing my perspective and letting it go and letting however people are going to interpret it. That's something I've been trying to lean more and more into. And I think basically that we just behave in all these different ways with, without even realizing it or Maybe we just should take the pressure off of ourselves because a lot of it may be human nature or human nurture in ways that we don't even fully comprehend because we are human. So there's only so much that we can step outside of our own heads because it's a very complex thing. It's not like this just happened in the past 10 years or 20, 30, 40. This is something that's been going on for hundreds of years. So how much of it can we really change? Yeah. There was an interesting exercise that I did years ago in the Byron Katie School for the Work, where one of the exercises, I can't divulge too much, might be a spoiler alert if anyone is looking to do the School for the Work, but there was a morning meditation walk that we did every single day at the school, the 10-day school. And part of the morning meditation walk was to look at everyday objects that we had titles for and return to the child mind, the childlike state of consciousness before we had labels for things. So I'll give you an example, right? Oh, isn't that a nice oak tree? Like the mind, you know, you're looking at, you're taking your mortimenti, oh, that's a nice bird, that's a nice tree, look at the sidewalk, look at the car, was to, like the mind isn't going to stop. So the goal was not to shut off the mind, but to reassign it and do a pattern interrupt where we could see this thing as fresh again. Like, the birth of language, like before language existed, you know, we think all the time, like, why are things called the way they're called? Why have we all agreed upon, oh, yeah, that is a tree. But there was a time as children, right, where we didn't have titles for things. We just were present to the isness, to the being of things without titling them. So the interesting thing about this exercise was to look at a tree. And I don't remember what I think I looked at a tree. And instead of going like tree in my mind, I went like gajunga or something like calling it, I don't know, calling it something else. And after a few days, it was like, first of all, it was doing a pattern interrupt where it wasn't like taking the thing for granted. Because I think so often we're like, oh, there's just another tree. There's just another bird, whatever. But to realize that everything we agree on, language, society, culture, our money system, everything, all it is, is a system of agreements. And at some point, someone created these things from nothing and it just caught on and enough people agreed that we accept it as truth. But I want to get a level deeper here. We think back to like a child mind. A tree is not a tree to a child. A bird is not a bird to a child. Money has no relevance to a child. So if there's absolute reality and everything just is and everything is just existence and everything is just pure being, then we can make it whatever we want to. Yes. We can literally make it whatever we want to. And I think this is important anytime we start to feel like constricted by life or held down by life or like whatever, you're in a job you don't like, you're in a relationship you don't like, you want to make a change. You know, this is kind of like what we do is remembering that you have the limitless ability to keep choosing new things because we're all just making it up. And all of the systems we have in our society were just made up anyway. Well, it also, as freeing as that is, I think part of what this book Selfie talks a lot about is just the importance of community. Mm. And so, yes, you can make things whatever you want them to be, but the way that our human lives are set up is very dependent on other people. 
True. So unless you are redefining something with a group of people, it's very challenging. Yes. And so there are all sorts of different examples, right? I mean, you can have the mental practice of redefining something or taking away the charge of it. I think that's part of it. In fact, some of the early lessons in A Course in Miracles go into this is is very similar to what you're expressing with Byron Katie is about looking at objects without assigning meaning to them. Yes. And I think one of the lessons in A Course in Miracles is this is a meaningless world, right? And it's true because we are attaching our own meaning to it. And I think part of the practice in A Course in Miracles is really starting to let go of all these different mental constructs so that we can surrender and we can trust and we can be in this place of co-creating with the universe. And I think there's a lot of nice relief in that because I think maybe something that you're trying to get at here, Jason, is that it can feel really challenging as human beings because of all these stories that we place in everything. Yes. And sometimes it's also challenging because we feel like our world is being defined by what other people have defined it as. And so I don't want to do this. I want to break out of the roles. And I think that's part of where consciousness starts to get exciting is when you can recognize that there is meaning beyond your meaning. And that, A, the world doesn't revolve around you as the individual, which again, that's something that goes back to ancient Greece is about the individuality and all of that versus a lot of the, so that's more of like the Western mindset versus the Eastern, which was very much about groups and and people supporting one another and all of that and mentally how they viewed things. So we have to realize that we're being taught these ways through all these people that are basically trying to help us. I think that ultimately human beings are not necessarily that selfish. I think at our core, we're just so connected to the group. So if a teacher or a parent or a friend or or the media has been instilling this meaning to you, it's not like they're trying to harm us or trying to sabotage us. It's just that we need to start to think about it in a way of maybe what we've been taught is not the meaning that we want to have, mm, right? Right. And so recognizing more of that freedom there that we do in a way have a choice as to how we perceive things and how we interact with things and how we respond to things. That to me is incredibly exciting and powerful and comforting in a lot of ways that if something doesn't feel right, it's almost like we can just reframe it in our minds. Mm-hmm. But the downside to it is that we can reframe it, but how it basically plays out in our lives is also dependent on how other people are viewing things, you know? And I think that's part of your point here is that we could call or give ourselves a whole new title or take away our title. It's kind of similar to a few weeks ago, Jason and I ran into somebody you hadn't seen in 10 years or so, and he told you he had a new name. Oh, yes. Will you tell them that story? Yeah. I, in the first few years of my culinary career, after I graduated culinary school. I was I had a catering business and, and was doing a lot of different culinary things around Los Angeles. And one of the chefs that I knew at that time, you know, was around doing his thing. He was also a, a raw food chef and kind of prominent in the LA community. And I had not seen him at least it must have been a decade or so. Like a decade. And randomly bumped into him at I bumped into him at an herbal shop in Ojai, right? And I hadn't seen this dude in ten years. And he had a new name. I referenced him as his original name and was like, oh, hey, 
And he's like, oh, that's actually not my name anymore. And I was like, oh, right on. Okay, <laughs> cool. Cool. The artist formerly known as, you know? Yes. It's cool. Yes. You could do what you will. Yep. I was actually having this conversation yesterday. Jason Andrew Robel was not supposed to be my name. Yeah. You, yeah, you know this. You know, this is, mm-hmm. this is, I don't know if, if our loyal uh, listeners know this, but my mom made a game time decision, changed her mind at the last minute. So just really quick, you know, this whole idea of we make our reality whatever we want. I was almost somebody completely different, right? And so Jason Andrew Robel is what people know me as, but that was a very final decision. My mom was going to name me, you guys ready for this? <laughs> Rafael Andres Fejo Ortiz. That was going to be my name because my dad's last name is Fejo Ortiz. He's from Puerto Rico. Andres was his, his father, my grandfather's name. And they decided that Rafael was cool because he's an you know, archangel painter. Like, Rafael is a very powerful name. And then my mom and dad, whatever, had a disagreement or what, however the story goes. And she was like, nah, he's going to be Jason Andrew Robel. Now, my, now <laughs> I, I can guarantee you this. Had I, walk, had I gone through my life, okay, as Rafael Fejo, Andres Fejo Ortiz, my life probably would have turned out very different in certain ways. Why? Because I think that words have not only belief we assign to the meaning of words, but I do believe that there is an energetic imprint to how words sound and how they affect the actual vibration of words, right? So when I say Jason Andrew Robel, the feeling in my body and the feeling that that the vibration of those words is very different than Rafael Andres Fejo Ortiz, like it's a very different feeling that it engenders. So I think this is, it's such an interesting exploration in linguistics and not just the meaning we assign and how my life would have turned out having a very Latin name, like a very Latin name. Who knows how people would have treated me or how I would have assigned meaning to that. I probably would have been in Menudo for all we know. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, but I, just, I, I mean, know, boy band. Who, who, there is no way of knowing, but it does remind me of this one story many years ago. I had a friend at work and she was applying for a new job. And she was this white woman named Aisha. And to me, a name, it's like the Shakespeare quote, you know, rose by any other name. It's just like, what is a name? A name is nice, but it doesn't define who a person is, right? It's just a name. So it's like, when you're saying this about your name being different, I'm like, well, I don't think it would have changed anything for me, right? I mean, maybe we have a preconceived notion, but it all depends on the context. And a great example of context is, when Aisha was uh, applying for jobs, she she's saying to me that she was having trouble. This is probably 2008 or nine, And it was in the entertainment industry where things are always shifting around. And we've also seen a, a huge shift in diversity over the past, even just the past two or three years. Things yeah. have really changed a lot. And so again, let's say 10, 11 years ago, she's applying to jobs and she keeps saying, well, people aren't giving me an opportunity. And then it occurred to her what may have been happening, whether right or wrong, but her part of her theory is one day she went, she got a job interview and she went in and she was the only white person there. And suddenly it occurred to her that people were making assumption of her race based on her name, which is Aisha. How interesting. And it was just, I remember us talking about this and being like, wow, 
because she hadn't, I mean, this is probably before LinkedIn became really popular. Like she was just literally sending in a paper with her name and her experience written on it. Sure. And then people were basically assuming that she was a different race because of her name. They assumed that she wasn't white. And so whether that was racism happening, it seemed that it may have been. Wow. And so (laughs) it's really fascinating to me because especially since I had never even, that it had never even occurred to me, right? It was just a name. I think this is so interesting because this goes into the idea of assuming things about people, Mm -hmm. right? So by the way, that's an amazing story that highlights this of, I've had people say, so obviously clue, part of my heritage is Latino, right? But people don't glean that from Jason Andrew Robel. They just don't glean it. And they don't really necessarily glean it by my appearance either, right? They're not just like, oh, he's a Latin dude. But I've had people make remarks I won't label, you know, but just like, oh, you're da 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 da. You're a white guy, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm actually mixed race. Thank you, but I'm gonna have compassion for your assumption about who I am because why? I mean, how else could you? I look white, right? It's like you're a white, you're a white appearing guy. I get it, but this is part of human nature, right? Like we make snap judgments, like we look at people or hear their name without even seeing them, or you know, we go back to like the vegan thing. I've had people tell me like, wow, I thought you were gonna be an asshole. I'm like. Why? Well, you know, because you're vegan, and every and I've had people say every vegan I've met has been an asshole, and I'm like, I wow, thank you. But it's just this, yeah, interesting idea that people make perceptions or judgments about you without really knowing the whole story. And we do it all the time. I'm not judging this, but it's just interesting to note how we have a tendency to do this as human beings. Absolutely. And it can be dangerous sometimes, and it can be limiting to people's opportunities, and it can be. But again, you know, it's funny how we've talked about this so much throughout the podcast. So it's it's becoming this ongoing theme. Mm. If we're talking about how we apply meaning to things, yeah, then if I guess there just isn't a limit because it's just this thing where if somebody's going to judge you based on your name, the color of your skin, your experience, your title, whatever else it is, then. They're not taking you in as a whole person. They're not really giving you a chance. So why would you even want to be involved with that person, right? It is limiting. When you say it's limiting our opportunities, it is literally limiting you. It doesn't mean that you are having an opportunity taken away from you. Mm -hmm. It's saying that if you took this opportunity, you would be limited, right? Oh, yeah. So to me, it's like, I don't care. Like... (laughs) I'm not going to get caught up in in all these definitions and these titles and whatever else because I'm constantly evolving. Yes. I can't remember where I was reading this the other day. There was some point being made in some book that I was reading and the reference was the metaphor. It's like putting your foot in the river over and over again and expecting it to be the same river every time. The river is constantly moving. So every time you put your foot back in the water, it's a different part of the water. It's never the same because that part that you initially put your foot in has already moved on. It might look the same to you. You might perceive it as being just a river, but a river is flowing and constantly changing. And that's similar to how I see us as human beings. So it's say whatever you want. You can put me in a box. Sometimes I get in my head about this. When I get triggered and think, 
oh my gosh, I offended this person, or I said the wrong thing, or I made a mistake or whatever. And then I think, I'm basically assuming that other people will not give me another chance or not see me as an evolving human being. And I think that I want to be perceived as an evolving human being that makes mistakes and that is changing. And I'm never the same person from one moment to the next, right? So if somebody wants to put me in a box and think that that based my entire identity on one thing that I did in the past, then that person's not seeing me as the whole of who I am, who I am and who I'm becoming. There's, I'm going to butcher this quote. Okay. And I, it might be Wayne Dyer. I'm just pulling it from like the mezzanine right now in my brain, but it was something about the secret to happiness or the secret to finding the goodness in life is not by wanting new things, but by seeing old things with new eyes. Yes. And so when you were saying that years ago, someone gave me a piece of relationship advice. I can't remember who it was, but it, it was a couple that was together for a while, right? And they hearkened what you said about putting your foot in the river. It was like when they started to feel like the spark going away, their whole thing was to make a point to realize that you weren't just like coming home just like, oh, there's my wife again. There's my hubby again. It was like, this person is not the same person they were yesterday and appreciating them in their fullness and the presence of who they are now. Because the reality is if you're with people who are dedicated to growth and evolution and change, they're not going to stay the same. And do you have a container of love and communication and admiration that is strong enough to know that, hey, you can also love the iterations and the versions and the chameleonic nature of who we are as beings? Yes. And that's, that reminds me of a song that I heard yesterday that I want to read some of the lyrics from. I somehow got into this album and I've been listening to it for the past week. It's called Expectations and it's by the ma band Magic. And they have this beautiful song called Appreciate You, another one called Expectations, another one called More of You. Recommend all three. And the fourth one I've only listened to once. I was taking in the lyrics yesterday and it really, hit me. And it starts off, the song starts off as a man singing, saying that she says she loves another. She says she loves another man. And she says she wants to see him. And so it starts off thinking, okay, this woman wants to be with somebody else, right? She says she looks at me with love. I know the one you're talking about. He's not coming back because I will never be how you remember me. So basically the song is about how his partner wants to be with another man, but the other man is who her current partner was in the past. Whoa. Right? So it's a whole song Whoa. about this guy trying to say, you love the old me, or you love who I was yesterday, or you love me last from last year. And she's like so stuck in this past framework of this man without really understanding that he's constantly evolving. And I think that is an ongoing thing with relationships. Yes. Is that when you get in a relationship with somebody, you're getting together with somebody who's changing, just like you're changing. And I think this is kind of this common thing for couples is that they outgrow each other, people say. Yeah. Or some people are committed to being with this person no matter who they become. Mm, right? Right. And the end of the song says, and it's not what you expected, but at least my love for you is still protected. You're the only one that I have not rejected, but you'll never be the way you remember me. Hmm. Interesting, huh? No, it's wonderful. And right, we have this deep 
desire for security and certainty. And if things stay the same, then they're certain, then they're secure, then we have control over them. That goes against the very nature of our existence. That goes against here on this planet. Everything is change. Everything is moving forward. Everything is decaying, evolving, being reborn over and over and over. And to, to think that anything, no matter what your eyes tell you, to think that, oh, I'm seeing this person every single day, you know, there they are. Like our eyes deceive us. And that's actually great. I mean, it's so funny because a lot of the, another issue that relationships have typically is that people get bored. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, I, I have to sleep with the same person for the rest of my life <laughs> or I have to be with the same person. But how wonderful it is if they change. Absolutely. How so you fresh actually and exciting. Want, you want them to change. For sure. And I also think it's funny because when you're saying this, Jason, about how we crave this stability and this the comfort of things staying the same. Mm. It's really odd, though, if life is always changing, if we as human beings are changing, why do we ever get in our, it in our head that they wouldn't change? Why is it that as human beings, we want stability so much? I mean, maybe the selfie book will get into this too. I don't know if they will, but I love this about just history and psychology is why do we want the things that we want, even if they conflict with the way things actually are? Mm -hmm. To me, that mm -hmm. becomes more comforting. If I can understand the way things work, I personally feel more comfortable because there's less pain in it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's almost at this time in my life, I'm trying to break through all of this old mental thinking and all these meanings and, and just try to see the world differently, mainly because I would like to be in more harmony with the way things work and myself too. I find it painful when I expect something and it doesn't happen, right? Yeah. Or I perceive something to be something that it's not. I find that incredibly painful. So why would I want to see the world that way? Mm -hmm. I think that's the other thing with the black and white thinking is to me that that also is about the conflict. I would rather talk to somebody and have an, a flowing dialogue where both people respect one another and both people are open-minded. And even though they may not want to change their perspective, they still can just respect and hear the, the other. To me, that's wonderful. Right. Absolutely. I'm not somebody that wants to get into a debate. I don't want to sit there and argue my way, especially not to somebody who's committed to arguing for their way. That for is sure. incredibly unpleasant for me personally. Well, there's that wonderful, again, quote, I don't know who it's attributed to, but you can either be right or you can be happy. Yes. And especially in an intimate relationship is my aim is not to be right here. My aim is not to win. My aim is to understand you and be understood. I want to recommend a book on the subject re that's so good. And I, I read it many years ago. My mentor, Michael, recommended it to me. It's called The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts. Mm. And it's a wonderful Zen-based, right? Because Alan Watts was steeped in many spiritual traditions, but very much Zen, Buddhism. And, you know, this idea that true security, or at least the fervent, desperate security we crave, seem to crave as humans, is impossible to achieve. Because, again, we are so against nature in many of our thinking patterns and our habits that the flowing of the river, the changing of the seasons, the leaves falling, the tree falling, the new tree being born, that this psychotic desire, and I'm paraphrasing, to have things stay the same all the time is we are running against the very nature of existence by doing that. 
And that just keeps leading me back to why, then why do we even... Fear of death, preventing death, that if things are secure and things are safe, and we surround ourselves in giant mansions with huge walls and armored cars and tons of money, that somehow death and sadness and suffering won't find us. I mean, I think there's a sickness of the human mind, Whitney, that, you know, culturally speaking, that people amass enough wealth and power and security and, again, all of these material things that somehow they're going to be immune to sickness and death and suffering and all these things. And and I think it's a spiritual illness and it's a mental illness of sorts to think that we can live this way. I think that's a little extreme in saying that. Again, after reading Selfie, I think a lot of that behavior is historic. When you go back in time, this is not a new thing. Well, maybe. So it's not, (laughs) I, I don't know if it's like a spiritual illness. I think it's just perhaps putting that much meaning on it if you're not conscious about it, then it's just really an unconscious behavior, an unconscious desire that, that people, I mean, how can you blame them? I think ultimately as human beings, we're trying to survive. Any living being is trying to survive. That is what we are first and foremost programmed to do. Sure. Right? How long can we stick around and perpetuate <laughs> our species? Right, procreate. Right? right. So at the core we, I think, are driven by whatever it'll take to survive as individuals and as a society. And so I think the money side of thing is a huge part of survival, right? Of course. Because when we have money, we feel safe because all of our needs can be met. And then there's this idea if we don't have money, then perhaps we're not safe or we're unsuccessful. And there's this huge fear. I'm not going to be able to keep myself alive if mm. I don't have money. Mm. Right. I think right. that's really at the core of those money fears. And so how can we judge somebody for wanting to have a huge house and make a ton of money and have a nice car? A lot of that is, yes, very culturally programmed into us. Some people unconsciously think that that's just going to help them feel more happy. But I've had those thoughts before too. I mean, sure. I, these are very, very ingrained in us for, and they're just different extreme versions of it. Yeah. Right. And so I don't think that we can get upset for people or, or call them like spiritually ill. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. It's just that it might not be benefiting them in the way that they think it is. Right. Right. It's not like contributing to some more ethically greater good, right? It's not, a lot of the times it is selfish, right? Because you having all of this money may, may, some people might perceive that you're taking it away from somebody else or you're using the money to buy a car when instead maybe you can make a donation to help somebody in need or something like that. I think, I think those perspectives on wealth can maybe make some sense. But again, like everybody's going through all these different phases and it's so much about the insecurities they felt as a child sometimes. That's true. That's right? true. The, the deep fears that are, are ingrained in them and their desires to have something so badly because they believe that's what it's going to take for them to survive and for them to feel loved. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the point I was trying to get at is just how can we be more secure aligning ourselves with the true nature of existence? That's really what I'm trying to get at here is that nothing is absolutely certain. Everything is ever-changing, and we have no idea what's going to happen from moment to moment. And that can feel scary and feel like a freefall. Like, there are times when I'll really just meditate on that, not just as a concept, but like really feel it in my body. And there are moments that can be absolutely terrifying of like, we want certainty. We want to think we can predict what's going to happen in the next moment. But to really 
gently and without judgment sit in that space of like, yeah, we have no idea what's coming. And we can prepare, we can do our best to plan for the future, but ultimately we have no idea what's waiting for us. And I think that's one of the most challenging things about existing period is setting foundations for family and fortune and the future and, and making plans for things and ultimately having to let go to a degree of knowing we have no idea what's coming. It's like, I'm just riffing off random quotes today, but the other one that comes to mind is like, if you want to make God laugh, tell me your plans. Right. Yeah. But And I'm not suggesting this was not a diatribe against wealth or wealth accumulation, but what I'm trying to highlight is when people are doing things like that with a sense that it's going to protect them from the suffering and the pain and the uncertainty of life, that's a massive illusion. And it's just understanding that life is going to be filled with all kinds of things, with sorrow, with beauty, with joyfulness, with sweet moments, and to be present to what is and to appreciate things as they are right now. That's something we can always practice and get better at doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and looking beyond the labels is ultimately the big message here is that yeah. really noticing how you attach meaning to labels. Absolutely. And then how you react to people attaching meaning to your label as well. <laughs> right? I mean, we can't control how other people perceive us. So if somebody wants us to see us as a, a vegan and put us in a category of being an unpleasant human being or self-righteous <laughs> or whatever else, whatever they want to put on there. That's them. That's their story. True. Right? True. And that's why, again, it, it doesn't necessarily matter that much. And, and this desire to try to make ourselves feel fully understood, I think, is also at the core of this identity thing is we want so badly for people to just see us for who we truly are. And we live in a time where people like make a lot of judgments on us based on our names and our titles and, and our Instagram accounts and how we look and how we dress and all this. But that's also just so much of human behavior. I mean, this is nothing new. So it's like we can try to fight it or we can embrace it and just let go and say, hey, who cares? I mean, it's easier said than done. Yeah. Because we are, again, as, as discussed so much in that book, Selfie, like there's a lot of our emotions that are wrapped in to how other people perceive us. And right. I think that just comes back to the survival side of it. Right. So, yeah, it's a, it's just an ongoing experiment, I suppose. Absolutely. <laughs> the one thing we talk about judgment, right? For me, one of the big practices that I've remembered whenever I feel myself in judgment of myself or another person is that judgment, to f and you talked about this with the energetic charge on things, that judgment feels like a perception with a really potent energetic charge on it, while discernment feels like a perception with no energetic charge on it, right? Like you could be like, "Ugh, I don't want to date her because I don't know. She drives a weird car. She drives a Yugo. I don't know. Like there's a lot of judgment What's there. a Yugo? A Yugo is a Yugoslavian car from the 80s. I was just trying to pick something <laughs> random as hell. I don't know, which that's I actually would really get excited about because that'd be random as hell and cool. But <laughs> But when we judge, but see, that's uh, let's pause for a second. Like it's funny, <laughs> one person might judge her in a negative light for having that you car, go. and another person might say that's, that's awesome, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's the thing. It's like I mean, there's always going to be somebody that judges us for something, and they don't like it, and yeah. then somebody else judges us and loves it. Yeah, but whenever I feel myself having a reaction or a negative energetic charge around my judgment of someone. I've gotten better over the years at pulling myself out of that and just observing it, 
not like, oh, ugh, they're wearing blah, 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 or look at them with that thing, or it's kind of like that, ugh, look at them, that's a judgment. Mm. Or Powell's like, whoa, that's an interesting red coat, cool. The energy behind it is very different. Yes. And so we're always going to separate things based on how we perceive them and assign meaning, but can we reduce the negative charge that comes with judgment and just learn to perceive things without putting the negativity around it? Mm-hmm. Like that's a practice I think we can all continue to do. I mean, I still judge the hell out of things. Of course. I, I mean, last night I, I found myself judging someone and I was like, okay, you can pull this back, dude. Just observe it. You don't have to judge it. Mm-hmm. There doesn't have to be negativity around this. Yeah. Or comparison in that way. Why do you think you stopped yourself? Because I caught myself. But why did you want to? Because it stop felt yourself? bad in my body. Like I could feel the negativity in my body as I was going there. I don't want to feel that. First of all, I don't want to send the negative energy toward that person. And I also don't want to feel it. My body was giving me a signal like, dude, don't, you don't need to go there. Like you could just observe this thing mm-hmm. and it's okay. That's enough. It's like compassion. That's though, enough. Right. You're, I think that's probably why is compassion for yourself, but compassion for another human being. Yes. Because what you're describing, this negative judgment towards somebody doesn't feel very compassionate because it's not looking at them and knowing that they too struggle and they too have all the same feelings that you have, right? Yeah. I think that it comes down to this type of meditation that I'm really drawn to lately called loving kindness meditation. And it's all about wishing yourself peace and happiness and love and all those things. And then after you finish wishing that for yourself, you start to wish it for other people, including strangers, because you recognize that they too want love and they too want peace and they too want happiness. And so in a way, when we judge somebody, it's almost saying that part of them isn't worthy or there's something Mm. wrong with them. Mm. Mm. And so I I think it is so important to do what Jason's saying here is, why do we need to do that? Why can't we just say, you know what? That person made that decision to dress the way they are for whatever reason. And I may see that and make other choices, but that doesn't mean that my choice is any better than theirs. Absolutely. Or sometimes there are things about people that they can't change. They didn't have a choice in, right? Right. Like a disability or something, for example, we can be so judgmental about that. But what if that person had no control over whatever their body is doing or however their body is designed? It is heartbreaking in a way to think that like culturally we have racism and sexism and all these isms against other human beings that comes back to the separation. Which, again, is maybe not something that we're consciously doing, but if we can become very conscious about it, I think that's one of the most loving decisions that we can make, one of the most compassionate things that we can do. Beautifully said. And it also reminds us to be more loving and compassionate to ourselves because, as many people know, a lot of the times the things, the flaws that you see in other people are just a reflection of the flaws that you see within yourself. So for you stopping, Jason, that judgment, it was not just a gift for that person, but it was a gift for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's the big question, right, is the takeaway for this episode is how can we bring more awareness to our actions and thoughts and beliefs? And are they creating community and connection or are they creating separation and judgment? And I think having this dialogue with ourselves is really important because I personally believe, you know, as an optimist and a futurist, for life to continue and flourish on this planet, we need to come together. And that's not just some flippant political campaign statement. You know, it's true. It's like by reducing judgment, increasing compassion, 
being aware of the negativity or anxiety or stress or need for security or way we judge ourselves or others, becoming aware and then choosing something different in the moment, if we can get better at that, that has a massive ripple effect on this planet. Don't discount your power as you're listening to this with these kind of awareness practices, these kind of mindfulness practices, because they do have a massive effect not only on your physiology and your peace of mind, but the quality and the depth of how well you can relate and understand other people. It really has a huge impact on this entire world when you make that shift within yourself, as we all do. Yeah. And I'm also really curious to hear your thoughts on selfie, because <laughs> on the flip side, if we've been behaving this way for most of humanity, is it really affecting us that poorly or do we just think it is? Right. I mean, if we've survived this long as a species with separation, is separation really that bad? I mean, I don't have the answer. I'm just, that's what that book has getting me to think is, hmm, is there a point to separation in a way? Is there some sort of a benefit that is somehow serving us? There must be if it's been going on for this long in humanity. Hmm. I'm really curious to get to the end of this book and see what, how it all wraps up and what his advice is in the text about how we can apply this to daily living. So maybe in a future episode, I'll share. We will revisit. Yes. And maybe you and I can both finish the book yes, and have exactly. a discussion about it. Maybe we'll have a little uh, Wellevator book club. And so we can talk mm. about it with everybody else. I don't know. Awesome. Yeah. Well, speaking of book clubs, we may not have one now, but we would like to come a little bit closer to that by having a conversation with you. We would love to hear from you. So we would like to know what you thought of this episode and the things that we discussed. You can leave us a review on the podcast. That's always appreciated. You can reference this podcast or any of the episodes you've listened to. You can come over to wellevator.com and comment on the blog post. We have lots of more content there for you. You can come send us a message publicly or privately through direct message. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, many platforms. And you can also sign up for our newsletter, which really gives you direct access to us because you can reply to any of our emails and get right into our inbox so that we can uh, have a more one-on-one -on -one type of conversation with you. We'd love that. So please uh, check out all the different places that we are. That'll be in the show notes along with everything else that we've referenced. And we are so grateful to have you as a listener here and part of our community. We look forward to touching base with you again in the next episode. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.